Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for Brahma Vihara's another Q&A session today. I think this is the third of the series of Brahma Vihara series, a Q&A. Uh, and I got uh, some really interesting questions. Uh, I guess I opened up a can of worms <laughs> just by uh, mentioning uh, the word desire. So I got a, a string of questions uh, in regards to desire and religion, desire pertaining to philosophy, is desire good or bad and so forth. And I kind of answered that question with my own question uh, when I advertised for this episode, desire, friend or foe. And so I'm going to talk just a little bit about that. I'm not going to maybe, I'm not sure I haven't rehearsed this or anything, but I don't think I'll spend the whole episode on that uh, because I would like to introduce the next uh, chapter, the next stage of the loving kindness meditation. I really want to keep this, uh, these series, or this series rather, uh, pertaining to uh, loving kindness. So I'll try to stay in those boundary lines. Uh, desire is a huge topic uh, and uh, probably could uh, use a series all on its own. But how we got into this can of worms was that I, I uh, mentioned that when we extend loving kindness uh, in this meditation, we extend loving kindness to a loved one. And we don't want to use a loved one in which we have a desired-based relationship with, at least not when we're beginning a practice of loving-kindness. If we're uh, well-versed in these practices, if we've had a lot of experience with these practices, uh, it might be okay to work with a person for whom we have a desired-based relationship with. Now, I realized after I gave that talk that I didn't really talk about why that is, uh, so, which probably led to some of the questioning. So the reason why we don't use uh, a desire-based relationship for extending loving-kindness to a loved one in these practices is that a relationship, a love-based relationship, or a fondness relationship, or a friend relationship, or a family relationship, that type of love uh, is not generally based on reciprocation. So when we cultivate loving kindness uh, for another, we love that person just because they're human and they're close to us. We have that relationship with them. And we want their happiness regardless of how they feel about us. And I think that's quite important. Uh, and in a desire-based relationship, we love that person, we want to be with that person as long as they love us and want to be with us. <laughs> if that was to somehow change, uh, our relationship to them would change. And so that's why we don't use uh, metta or loving-kindness meditation with somebody that we have that desired-based relationship with. Now, I mentioned two techniques as a way of balancing out our experience of desire because primarily when we are experiencing desire or caught in the throes of desire, 
It's because we're experiencing a sense of lack. We lack something in ourselves, in our environment, and we want that something from external sources to be brought into our world, into our environment, into our being. And so through that experience of lacking, this desire arises. So we can, we can uh, counter that, or not really counter it, but I like the word balance, because we're not trying to get rid of desire. Desire on its own is fine, and I'll talk more about that in a moment. But, but we're trying to uh, be more mindful with our responses to how desire feels in our body, in our mind, in our heart. And so when we take up the practices of generosity, of gratitude, uh, we're taking stock in what we already have. We're appreciating uh, and uh, shining a light on the abundance that we have in our world. Now, you might not feel like you have an abundance of anything, but there is, and this is quite an interesting practice, when we're practicing uh, gratitude, there's always a way to find abundance. Uh, there's abundance of wind blowing outside. There's an abundance of blue in the sky. There's an abundance of green in the grass. And when we start to really notice abundance in that way, we actually recognize we live in an, in an abundant universe. Now, that might not belong to us, and that's a whole nother topic. But... Uh, to appreciate the abundance. There's an abundance of discomfort in my body. There's an abundance of birds singing. There's an abundance of darkness at night. And so, so to, to, to use the abundance that's available uh, as a practice of gratitude, again, as a way of balancing out our experience of desire. Okay. So the question that I posed uh, as a way of answering some of the questions I received was desire, friend, or foe? Uh, and this is actually kind of oscillates back and forth from the beginning of history. When religions were first being practiced, uh, those religions were very uh, hedonistic, very body-based. And so it was almost a celebration of desire in those early religions. Those were considered descending religions. So if we could descend into the body, we could descend into the earth, that was enlightenment. And so in those faiths, in those religions, in those practices, uh, desire was celebrated. Uh, as history unfolded, uh, mankind, or humankind, womankind, uh, we moved from the descending faiths and religions to the ascending faiths and religions. So there was an ascension out of the body, away from the earth, a pushing away of the body, a pushing away of the earth, ascending up to the heavens. So there was a pushing away against bodily desires or any sort of desire, which all arises through the body, by the way, uh, was a pushing away of all of that. Uh, and ascending up to heaven. Often that could only be experienced, that heavenly experience could only be uh, gained by leaving this body, so after death experience. Now, 
around the 11th century, 12th century, we saw the introduction into uh, world religions, the idea of Tantra, or Tantric practices, where it was a combination of ascending and descending, a kind of a meeting in the middle of these two streams of thought. Uh, so it was more of a, an embrace of what arises in the present moment, but not quite a celebration. Kind of a, an okay, that's what it is right now, let's move into that, let's see what that brings. So Tantra kind of draws a happy medium in between the ascending and the descending, like that. And you see that in some uh, uh, Hindu practices, uh, certain Buddhist practices also have this uh, Tantric lineage or Tantric thought or idea uh, where we don't push away desire. It's not shunned, but it's not coveted either. So, and that's really um, the, the, the schools of thought that I've primarily trained in are mostly tantric schools of thought. So I guess uh, it'd be hard to say I'm not biased. Um, I, I do think that desire, or I come from the idea, I guess, that desire is neither friend nor foe. Desire is just desire. It's just another emotion. It's just another feeling. Just like anger, just like joy, just like laughter and bliss and fear and aversion. Desire is, is just another one of those. Desire itself is not, and now I'm putting forth the tantric idea here. I don't want to take, if anybody here is, is in the descending faiths, don't want to take anybody's belief system away from them. I'm not going to enter into a debate on that. Uh, if anybody here watching this is of the ascending belief, if you think you need to go to heaven to be enlightened and you push away desire, uh, I honor that, I respect that as well. Beautiful. Uh, but from the tantric point of view, uh, desire is neither good nor bad, neither friend nor foe. The, the problem with desire arises with how we respond to the experience of desire as it arises in our body, in our mind, in our heart. If I desire a glass of water, for example, do I jump up from the chair, knocking over my computer and my phone and tripping over the cat, causing her suffering, uh, running to the kitchen to get the glass of water, totally unconscious? Or do I take some breaths, I'm desiring a glass of water, calmly stand up, feeling my body as I stand, the sensations of the clothing on my skin, taking a few breaths, calmly walking over to the fridge, pouring myself a nice glass of water, taking a few sips, noticing how the water quenches my parched throat, and so forth. So, and I use that that very obvious example because those are, are uh, options uh, that many of us uh, face when desire arises. And when desire arises for most people, for many people, it's uncomfortable. And we, we feel that sense of lack and we just grasp at whatever it is, the closest thing that's gonna fill that lack. And it happens very unconsciously. And then, Problems arise because that worked, 
that felt good, yeah. I was able to fill that lack with that substance, that drink, that cigarette, whatever it was that that was. Filled that gap, great. Well then that lack arises again, an hour and a half, two hours later. No, oh, there it is again, I can grasp at that again. Boom, fill that lack again. Well, let's use the example of a, of a chocolate bar. So maybe I'm feeling very sleepy and kind of dozy. And I feel like, oh, I could really use some sugar. I uh, grab that chocolate bar, eat that chocolate bar. Now I'm, I'm buzzed, right, from the sugar and the chocolate. Great. Get some work done. Uh, start crashing again. Uh, grab that chocolate bar. Eat another chocolate bar. Uh, now I feel good. I'm buzzing again. Get some work done. Uh, crashing again. The lack of sugar in my system, the lack of caffeine in my awareness, that brings the desire. Grab that third chocolate bar. Snack on that. Again. And so that's how the addiction starts. We, we imbue, in this example, the chocolate bar with the power to make us feel better. Not recognizing that the power is actually always here inside. So instead of reaching for the chocolate bar, we could stand up, do a jumping jack or two, wash our face with cold water, or if we really need to rest, take a nap, uh, and so forth, like that. So that's the issue with desire in a nutshell. And again, this is a huge topic which would require uh, a whole series in itself. But the issue with desire is, is if we can move forward with mindfulness to fill that desire, or do we just grasp unconsciously at whatever made us feel better an hour ago to fill that desire, whatever made us feel better last week, whatever made us feel better last month. And that's, it's very unconscious. It'll just feel like instinct. It'll feel like the normal, natural thing that everybody's doing. That's what it'll feel like. Because there won't be any, it'll be, uh, it'll be the groove that the water runs down in our behavior, that groove. We just move forward for that substance. We move forward for that action. We move forward for that person. We move forward for whatever it is that's filling that desire because it feels like the normal, natural thing to do. So how does one bring mindfulness to desire? I've mentioned that a few times now. Well, and this can be done with any feeling or emotion. The idea is to really be in the present moment with the desire. So, for example, using the example of the chocolate bar again, let's say I'm feeling that low energy, but I really need to get some work done. Got this desire for this Hershey's bar. I'm not sponsored by Hershey's by any chance, by any means, but, but oh, whatever, chocolate bar, right? Uh, so I reach for the chocolate bar, so I feel that desire. Now, the idea here is then to take a breath, feel the breath. Don't get rid of the desire. Allow the desire to be there and feel the breath at the same time as the desire. Hmm. Then add other aspects of the present moment, holding the desire 
don't, don't go for the candy bar yet. Just hold the desire in the present moment awareness. So you feel the breath, you feel the desire. Now you feel also the clothing on your skin, the weight of your body against the chair or cushion if you're sitting on a cushion. You're feeling the clothing on your legs. You're feeling the breeze if you're outside, brushing your skin or if there's a fan nearby. Are you feeling your feet against the ground? And you're holding the desire at the same time in your awareness. Now by that point, you will probably start to feel a shift. If you can really hold the desire and feel the breath and the body at the same time, the object of desire won't seem so enticing by that point. It'll lose some of its draw. You'll start to see it in a more uh, real way, in a, in, a, in a more honest way. So breath, body, and then if you can, bringing in the sounds of the present moment. Whatever is arising in your sense of hearing, while you're holding that experience of desire, you're hearing the present moment. For me, it's bird songs, the sound of my voice. There's also the geckos that are occasionally uh, singing. There's a sound of a car in the distance, some roosters and holding the desire at the same time and feeling the breath in the body. Now, that's when some really, some interesting things start to happen with the experience of desire. It starts to really now uh, lose its draw and it starts to really kind of just become another aspect of the present moment. Now, the last series that I gave was called uh, A Voice from the Ever Change. And this, this I really t talked about this quite a bit in that series, but in case you missed it, uh, what I talk about is when we feel an emotion, we actually, our habit is to take that emotion out of the river of ever change. The river of ever change is everything and anything we can experience, have ever experienced, and will ever experience. It's all ever-changing. The, the endless river of life is ever-changing. Now, when emotion comes to us, we take that emotion habitually out of that river of ever-change. We give it a title. Here, the title is Desiring a Chocolate Bar. And then we then either run towards it uh, with thoughts like, oh, I need that chocolate bar now. It'd be great to have that chocolate bar. I should have that chocolate bar. I love chocolate and peanut together. Ooh, and peanut butter. Forget about it. That's the best. All of those thoughts keep that desire solid and fixed. Now, if we start struggling against that desire, oh, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't do that. I can't do that. Or I, I shouldn't. I'm on a diet and all that. That gives that desire even more solidity. And this is what we do this all the time, not just with desire, but with every emotion. So now we've fixed that emotion into a solid fixed entity. And that gives us something to dance with, struggle against, wrestle with, fight with, identify with. And when we do that, that makes us feel like a solid, separate entity. 
and then we have this duality the desiring being in here and the desired substance out there and there's all of this suffering in between like that and so that that's really um the issue with desire it creates this separation between what we're experiencing uh desired desiring and in between those two in that gap is all where all the suffering arises so the idea is to to put that experience of desire back in the ever change we do that by being in the present moment experience when desire arises we don't step out of the present moment and grasp that desire that makes us solid not ever changing we're fixed we're stuck we're static and it makes the object of desire also static, fixed, and stuck. No fluidity there. So when we, and this is why labeling the thinking process during meditation is so powerful, because it helps us to, to notice how we're thinking. And so when we're stuck on an object of desire, we say to ourselves, oh, that's thoughts. That's just thinking. We don't we don't judge the thoughts, good or bad, right or wrong, light or dark. It's all thinking. So once we can do that, the desire will come. It'll stay for a while, not for very long, most likely. And then it will resolve. It'll, it'll be back in that river of ever change. And anything that's in the river of ever change will be born. It'll have a lifespan and it will die. That's the nature of the experience of the world that we live in. Everything that exists, is born, has a lifespan, and dies, including our emotions, including our desires. As long as we allow them the space to do that. And with desire, with any powerful emotion, we can allow that arc, that birth, that lifespan, and that death simply by resting into the present moment experience, simply by noticing the sounds of the present moment, uh, by noticing the sensations of the body and the breath. That technique allows our emotions to move through us. Anytime you're caught in an emotion like desire or anger or fear or joy or lust or craving, any of those types of emotions if you're stuck in it it's because of your thoughts that's a very easy way to tell if you're if you're stuck it's because you're thinking about it let the thoughts go and the emotion will soon follow like that i know when i talk about it i make it sound dead easy arguably it's uh it's it's quite difficult uh, but again, this is one of the reasons why mindfulness meditation, uh, which my last series was about uh, a voice from the ever change, all about mindfulness practice. Um, uh, that's why that practice is so, so, so important and so healing. Um, okay. I think that's all I need to say today. Um, yeah. If there are any other questions about desire or anything else that you'd like for me to talk about on in this series 
uh, please do uh, send them through the comments or send them through Messenger. Happy to do that.